0: Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church Podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. We're in our series on Advent, and as Pastor Craig said, uh, yesterday we just had such a great time. Uh, It was really, really cool. For the first time, we actually had some of our George Vanier staff uh, and their families come and, and serve alongside us, some of our friends from FRAFCA, and, and just all the different spheres that we end up getting to serve at Christmas was such a, a great time. Uh, and thanks for all of you that showed up as well. And I know some of you had different things. Someone came up to me today and said, hampers are next week, right? They're not, they weren't this week. I know I couldn't do it this week, but I still want to come next week. And, and we do have hampers. We already got a ton of people registered to volunteer. Uh, it's just going to be a great time. And so, again, uh, Pastor Craig, I couldn't, I'm not exactly sure where we're supposed to go for details. I believe it's horizonfam.ca if you ever have any questions. Come on. you got to keep saying it till, till I get it. But, hey, if you're taking notes today and you got your Bibles with you, uh, we're going to go to Luke chapter 2 in just a minute as we continue on with our... Um, our Advent series. And one of the things I also, uh, yesterday we did our gift wrapping, today, uh, Princeton, you guys are actually doing yours and we're getting gifts ready for John Allison uh, School and we're so excited to get to do that in the town of Princeton as well this morning. And I was talking to Pastor Craig earlier this week of, around Advent and a little, maybe I don't know if this is a little behind the scenes, but as someone like Pastor Craig for a few decades has preached during Christmas, we were talking about how do you say the same thing fresh? How do you continue to say the same thing? If you've been in church for any period of time, you've heard many Advent messages, some good, some okay, <laughs> some, some whatever it is. And I think there, there's a potential danger for the hearers of messages like this when it comes to Advent. Number one is we relegate Advent to the month of December. We talk about things like hope, like peace, joy, love, and it's in the Christmas season. And often when I went, as we're speaking on joy today, I'll admit my mind went to be like, okay, how do we have joy during the Christmas season? And in there you see that there's a mistake that was made. You see, the Christmas season, Advent, is meant to provide us an opportunity just similar that if you go into the Old Testament, things like the Feast of Passover was meant to provide us. In the same way that Passover was a celebration that looked back to a specific event at a specific time where God took his people and removed them out of slavery from Egypt into the promised land coming. It was this moment to pause and remember a significant moment in history. But that moment and the celebration of that moment was meant to affect every other week, not just the week of Passover, And in the same way, Advent is a month where we stop to slow down, to contemplate, to look at the Christmas story. But friends, my heart is heavy this morning knowing that maybe some of you, like me, when we think of love, joy, hope, peace, and Advent... We put it in the month of December, but it was meant just as much for July as it was meant for December. We look at the Christmas story as a significant event that not only looks to that day and that season, that time, but is meant to change every other day from that moment on. And so could I encourage you, whether you're online this morning or in Princeton or in the room, as we listen to Advent, please don't bookmark it as the December speaking message. As we look to say, how does this affect every season? It's not just how do we have joy when we're elbowing people for Christmas presents. It's how do we have joy in July? How do we have joy when school starts again? How do we have joy when the finances in July and January aren't looking as hot as they did in November? How do we have joy in the mundane months? How do we have joy in those periods of time? And I believe that as we look to the Christmas season and why it's there, that it can open up to us something far greater for every moment of our lives. And number two, I think the, the tendency or the, the, the temptation, the possible downfall of Advent is we just get far too familiar with the story that we miss the awe and the beauty of this story. We miss the tapestry that Jesus and God the Father is orchestrating that pulls from Old Testament into New Testament prophecies, and we see the goodness and the glory of our God. But if we're not careful, we know the Christmas songs that just kind of go, and we go on what it is. We can read things about the birth of Jesus being good news of great joy for all people. We say, oh, that's great. We move on. The hearers of the word today are on the other side of Christmas. We know the end of the story and we can miss some of the beauty that was in the making of the story. Not just to reflect on what was, but I believe it can speak to our moments today when we catch what Jesus did because he's still doing the same thing. See, we can struggle greatly with joy and if I'm honest, I was joking around with Pastor Craig. I went to study this message, and I pulled my commentaries, and there was already underlines. And I'm like, what? And I look back, and I preached on joy last year. And I struggled just as much last year as I did this year in this idea of joy. Because I think sometimes, you know, okay, especially in the Christmas season, he's the reason for the season. So we got to be joyful and normally it's to grin teeth and don't fight. And I remember as a kid going to Christmas Eve services and I was like, just don't tick mom off enough to get dad's, you always felt the wedding ring in the back of the head, right? That's when you knew it was dad. Um, I mean, you know, he was just lovingly saying, hey, son, please be quiet. It's all good. But we can think that these things like hope, love, and joy are things we just got to muster up. And so we asked this quote, what do I need to do to hold on to joy? And that's great, but then when circumstances, as we shared, and I know many of you are walking through gets harder, it's like, oh, I just gotta gotta be joyful. Can I suggest that the Christmas season gives us a much better answer than that? that? Your walk with Jesus has so much more to offer than just trying to put on the Christian niceties, just acting Right. That's actually what Jesus came to fulfill and open up a new opportunity for us. See, the struggle, the result of this struggle is we understand how to find joy and the power of joy. I think the Christmas story has a lot more in this respect. But we said Luke chapter two, we're gonna read. I wanna encourage you to listen to the best of your ability with fresh eyes if this is a familiar story. Luke chapter one verses, or chapter two verses one. It says, in those days, there was a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was the house, he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Shocker, talked about that the last couple weeks, a little bit awkward for them. Not only do you have a betrothed wife who's pregnant, not from you, but now you got to go back home with that wife, or betrothed wife. And verse 6, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, or better translated, a feeding trough because there was no place for them in the inn. And, this, and in the same region, so while this is going on, it's almost like scene change. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch of their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that, is, uh, that will be for all the people." For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. This is what's going to tip you off. This is your directions. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth, lying in a feeding trough. And suddenly there was a great, or there was an angel multitude in the heavenly host praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest. On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Oh, such good news. When the angels went away from heaven, uh, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. And God, would you protect us from familiarity of your Christmas story that could rob us of the goodness that is here for us today? Lord, I know that every single person watching or listening or in this room, Father, is representative of a story where they're doing their best to follow you. They're doing their best to live what you've called them to live and and, and figure out what this is meant to be, this thing called life, and how do I fit in it? And Jesus, I thank you that the Christmas story is a reminder that you don't leave us to figure it out on our own, but you came close. And this morning, you're still doing the same. Would you speak to us in Jesus' name? Amen. You know, as we look to the Christmas narrative, Luke speaks of something specific, that Matthew, in his Christmas narrative, he's actually writing to convince the Jews that Jesus was the promised Messiah, that he was king of the Jews. This is why we see that in his narrative, we have the Magi coming, and the whole other great story of what that means to the promising of the king. But Luke was actually writing to Greeks, and his desire for his whole gospel was to prove that Jesus was the perfect man. He was the answer to their philosophical questions. He was the answer to their higher understanding that Jesus was this man. Luke also being a doctor means that if you read his book, Mark is like the quick texter. It's like, how are you doing? Good, okay, great. Luke's like, oh, blessings, brother. Okay, we all know I'm talking about Pastor Mike when I say that. Blessings, brother. And Pastor Mike, the details, but it matters in the details that Luke, he gives all of these details, but he is intentional, with the details, nothing is fluff, nothing is just uh, to, to, to paint a picture that he's very intentional to his goal and his point to prove that Jesus is the answer to every question that they were asking. So this morning we're going to look to kind of two categories of the story, the peripheral peripheral happenings of the story. We focus on certain things, but today there is a, uh, I want to look at the details that he gives us about Rome because I think it can speak to our current cultural moment and some of the things that we are going through. And he also speaks to some hidden little gems of what was meant to be the law, how Jesus not only is the fulfillment to what Rome was looking and promising to be, but he was also the fulfillment of the Jewish prophecies and everything that was to come. There is so much that Jesus is accomplishing even before he is born. And so first we look to the barrier that could have been to Jesus, could have been the barrier to the good news, that being of Rome. And we see that Caesar Augustus is mentioned, and if you're like me, you've read that, and you're like, great. You're like, it's kind of like the genealogy. You're just skimming to see when the repetitive stuff stops, and then you keep reading in your devotions. I know none of you do that, but maybe just me. But we see that Luke, not only is Luke is recording how God is actually taking what was popularized by the Roman government, and he is taking it and fulfilling it through Jesus. We'll see this. We hear that the angel said, good news, right? We take good news, gospel. We think that is a Christian term. Before it was meant for the and, and reference to those of the believers, it was part of Roman propaganda. And it was actually part of the Rome when the emperor, when Caesar would have had a child who would have been an heir to the throne, there would have been a command. He would have grabbed his messengers from the Roman emperor, sent them with a good news message that there was an heir. It would have happened when he was born, it would have happened when he came to age, and it would have happened when he went out and he became the new emperor. And so Caesar, as the ruler of the known world, thinking he was the the creator of all of this, the high and mighty, he would have sent out his messengers to proclaim good news that there was a new heir. We see that then the angel, when he takes this, and he says, hey, this and there is good news, this is not Caesar thinking he is the ruler of the world. We see that this is Yahweh, the creator of the world, sending his angels, messengers out to proclaim that there has been a shift. A new king has been born in King Jesus. We see in this story that in the good news, we hear gospel, but God is doing something intentional. All of the hearers, because the Greek word, they would have, their minds would have wandered to what would have been part of Roman propaganda, but God is saying what you think is an oppressor and things that, 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 that mean not. you can't do what you want or it's taxation or this corrupt government that they looked at and they saw the angels declare that there is a new king ushering in. Your political climate may not be the greatest, but there is a good news of a new king. See, the announcement of good news was a term familiar to the ancient audience of Rome. It was used for glad tidings related to the birth of the heir of the emperor, his coming of age, and the ascension to the throne. This term will be completely redefined by the gospel story of Jesus. He's making all things new. In a day and age where we think some of the decrees of possibly those in power or govern what's going on, keep in mind that the Christmas story reminds us that whatever is going on in the world around us, Jesus is in control. His arm is not too short to reach to take what the enemy planned for evil and turn it around for the good of those who love him. And we see also there's this statement that the angel said, peace among those with whom he is pleased. See, an inscription from Asia Minor reveals that Romans were praised as the saviors of all, and that peace and concord meant submission to Roman rule and showing goodwill to the Romans through obedience in all things. For Luke, God is the only source of our true peace. And so we say, peace to all men, peace to those whom God loves. It can sound great. We can put it on little decorations on the tree. But when the angels proclaim that this baby that is coming, you understand that Rome is saying, hey, listen, if you are subject to me, if you obey me, I'll provide peace and protection. But then Jesus is born into this climate to say, the emperor thinks that he can bring peace to all men, but Jesus is coming, who actually has the ability not just to bring peace to the Roman Empire, but peace to all people. This is the good news of Jesus. We see that God is doing far more than meets the eye. Not only that, but he says that there's a census that he is doing, that he's called. This is what actually, again, in the emperor, will read here, it says, the story Luke 2 begins with the description of a census that Caesar Augustus instituted. The purpose of the census was to count the people in his realm in order to determine how much tax money should be collected from each region based on the registered population. Caesar did this for totally political reasons. Yet he had no idea that this was what would lead Joseph and Mary, both descendants of King David, back to their ancestral town at exactly the time that Jesus would be born. We have a political leader flexing his authority, thinking he's in control, completely unaware that what looked bleak, what looked frustrating, what was a reminder that Israel was not free, what was a reminder that we were under corrupt government, that God was using what he planned for evil to fulfill prophecies that long predated Caesar Augustus, that God was always in control. We look at the details that there was no room in Bethlehem, what would have been proper. And again, this isn't like hotels, it's not like they checked into Motel 6. Things were done a little bit different. But because of the census, they had a year to go and be numbered. But for whatever reason, when Mary and Joseph went, when she was fully pregnant, a little bit of weird planning going on there, but that's fine, it seemed to be very busy. And Micah 2 speaks prophetically that there would be a Messiah of Israel that came out and would be born from Bethlehem. It says, as a young couple worked their way to Bethlehem to fulfill their political obligation, not fighting it, but to fulfill their political obligation, they ran into another challenge. The town was crowded with all the other people coming for the same reason. As they looked for lodging, they found that none was available. At first glance, it could easily appear that God's timing was not very good. Not only did he have this couple make the journey when Mary was very pregnant, he also didn't seemingly provide a suitable place for his son, who was meant to be the king and the savior of the world to be born. It appears that the birth was not well thought out, especially for the savior of mankind. And yet this was the furthest thing from the truth, God did not miss anything. Everything was exactly as it should have been. The timing, the people, the place were perfect. We see that in this Christmas season, it is a reminder that the cultural climate that Jesus was born into, the specific details of his birth story would have lent to anything but hope, And joy and celebration but we see that there is a God in the midst of these circumstances not outside of not despite which tells us that although we may face similar circumstances it does not negate our ability to experience God working in the details Daniel, this isn't my finances or a mess, Daniel. What the doctor's telling me is not good. No, you don't understand what's going on. I'm struggling with this again. Or Put in the blank, whatever you're going through, whatever external circumstances, Christmas reminds us that Jesus' hand is not shortened, is not stopped by our circumstances, our political moments, our cultural moments, that he is intricately involved and directing and detailing the story of his he was at Christmas, and he's continuing to do so with you and I today. Christmas tells us that whatever you're going through, Jesus is not far from what you're going through. Not only that, there's things that's going on around us. We see that the barrier that could have been to Jesus is also in the law. The Roman, Rome represented the cultural barriers to joy But the religious details of the birth narrative outline the internal and moral barriers that you and I may face. The struggling to be good enough and I just gotta figure this out and I just gotta do this, I just gotta measure up. We think so often we need to measure up and just be right and presentable and do all the right things to be accepted by God yet the Savior of the world was born in a feeding trough. We see that some of the details of the story open up the story of Christmas beautifully for us. First, the mention of John and Jesus in correlation together shows us that there's a transition here happening. It says, these two children were special. The two boys would grow and mature in obscurity until the day and time that they appeared publicly and ushered in a whole new age of God's purposes. The prophetic silence of several centuries was broken by John's words, repent, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Matthew 3, 2. And behold, the Lamb of God, we'll come back to that, takes away the sins of the world. This amazing young priest saw in Jesus someone who would fix what thousands of sacrificial lambs had never taken care of. He declared that a new sacrificial system was being inaugurated with the life of Jesus. In this, uh, it is this point that is so beautifully illustrated by the birth narrative of Luke gives to his readers. I guess I should say it in, at the beginning, uh, my father and mother-in-law are actually writing a book currently on Christmas, looking at all the different narratives, and so a lot of what I'm reading is coming from that book that's still in the editing, so you get the hot take uh, before it goes out to be published. We see that the details around it, it's intentional. There's a transition from one era to the other. And then you look at the birth birth placement of Jesus. We said there was no room. You think it's a mistake. You think it's overcrowded. It was bad planning. No, it was very, very intentional. See, the town of Bethlehem was an agricultural center surrounded by pasture land where sheep were raised. And it was in these hills that Jacob had raised his flock, that David tended his father's sheep, Shepherding was not a glamorous or easy occupation. Sheep were dirty. They needed continual care because they were dumb. That, that wasn't in my father's book. That was my uh, interpretation. They were also vulnerable to attacking predators or thieves that would try and steal them. You see, to help shepherds watch over their flock, they would often build what are called watchtowers. Watchtowers. In certain locations, this would allow them to have a better vantage point to watch the flocks. There was such a tower located a mile outside of Bethlehem. The location was called uh, Migdal Eder and was used, we see this in Genesis as referenced, it was used for shepherds for the season of watching flocks when there'd be birth, That would also be part of that. Some scholars place, there's a couple different renditions and a couple people believe it, maybe it's this or maybe it's this but a lot believed that it was actually in this watchtower as there was a platform to watch, but underneath there was a birthing room provided that they believed that this could have most likely been where Jesus was actually born, just outside when there's no room. What seemed like terrible circumstances on the outside is the perfect orchestrated plan of a loving father involved in the details what would have made this place and destination that Joseph and Mary could have gone to find some shelter? What, would this have been a good place for the Son of God to be born? Great questions to ask. But before we do, I want to look at the character of the shepherds and why they're in this story and how this is such good news for you and for me. Why the shepherds? Not only was the spot that Mary gave birth pretty suspect, <laughs> the first people to hear about and witness Jesus outside of her biological family were shepherds. This was not the welcome of a king. Many people miss the birth of Jesus. Later in his life, they question if he could be the Messiah because of where he was born. They thought he would be born in Jerusalem. There would have been priests around. It would have been this incredible celebration with prestige and gifts, a little bit more like the two-year-old Jesus when the Magi finally got to him and gave him gifts. That's kind of what they saw in their mind's eyes, but shepherds. See, the involvement of the shepherds was therefore significant to the story, Normally, shepherds were not a respected group of people. They were considered dirty because they lived with animals in the field. They were also known to be of lesser character than other people, sometimes thieves, sometimes criminals. And this is who welcomes Jesus. Yet the shepherds were the first people outside of Jesus's immediate family to be aware of his birth on that day. It was not the priests in the temple in Jerusalem or the aristocracy uh, that were informed about Jesus' birth. It was not the Pharisees or the scribes who studied scriptures who were informed by the angels. Again, we read the story. The angels could have gone to anyone. You ever think about that? We read it as it was, fun. Well, well, of course, they had to go to the angels because that's how the Christmas story they go to the angels, so there's no other option. They could have gone to anyone. God is orchestrating something bigger than what meets the eye. Jesus could have been born anywhere. Augustus could have decreed the census the year after his birth. And we think that it's all circumstantial, but there's a God who is orchestrating the details so that he can explain and proclaim to us what he is doing in this moment. It was the poor, the common shepherds, that were the first to hear the good news of Jesus' birth. They were the ones to first hear this new gospel, not of Augustus, but of God the Father and good news that his son and heir had been born, declared by the angels. Why is that significant? Because in Isaiah 61, one to two says that the coming Messiah would be anointed by the spirit of God for the purpose of preaching the gospel, the good news to the poor. Luke's birth narrative shows that the poor shepherds were the first to hear the good news on the very day of Jesus' birth. Jesus, before he could preach, before he knew any words as a baby, was already proclaiming that this was good news for all people. The religious system of the day was set up in a way where they would have assumed that maybe these certain people were outside of the blessing of God. Now hear me. I think there's sometimes a narrative that we can get into. So Jesus came for the poor and the outcasts, and in doing so, we wrongly assume that he did not come for those in power. He did not come for the rich. He did not come. And that is an incomplete gospel. Jesus doesn't need to negate the rich so that he can love the poor. Jesus comes with a gospel that is for the rich and is for the poor. It is for all of those who would see, who would believe, and who would receive. His grace is not too weak to reach in the arms of government, and it is not too prestigious and righteous to reach into the slums of the alleys. Jesus is expanding our understanding of who this good news is for. And this is why there's great joy. Because this is new. This wasn't possible. These shepherds didn't get to interact with God in this way. And Luke is writing to Gentiles, to Greeks, to say, you are included in the good news of Jesus who comes to usher in a completely different kingdom. Good news that causes great joy And the details of Jesus' birth lets us know it's for all people. Not only do we see this, we see that this is not ideal to man, but it's perfectly orchestrated by the hand of God. Why Bethlehem? Why in a feeding trough? In a watchtower? Why these shepherds? Oh, it's so beautiful. What the shepherds did after hearing the good news from the angels was to go and see the new baby they were told about. The angels did not give them an address or a street name. In our nice animated Christmas stories, we have the star in the sky for the shepherds and the magi, but that's not in the accounts of the Bible. How did the shepherds know where to go? They didn't wander. It actually says they made at haste to follow and go exactly where they knew. And the angels, the only sign that they were given is there will be a baby, it's gonna be wrapped in cloth, and it's gonna be in a manger, in a feeding trough where the baby could be found. They were simply given a sign to look for that they would find a baby in a feeding trough wrapped in cloth. With that information, they knew where to look. That is the very place where they find the lambs that would later be sacrificed in the temple. The significance of this place, Jewish religious documents and rabbinical teachings tell us that Bethlehem was actually the place where sacrificial lambs for the temple in Jerusalem would have been raised. It was five miles outside of Jerusalem. These shepherds were not ordinary shepherds. The angels didn't show up to the random shepherd. They showed up to shepherds that them and the fathers before them spent their entire life raising sheep and raising lambs that were meant to be sacrificed in the temple to appease God, to be a payment for our sin temporarily. We see the sheep had to be perfect without blemish. These weren't just any sheep. They had to be perfect if they were going to be good for a sacrifice, which is why they had to watch. And when a, a, an ewe was going to go into labor, they would rush and find her, and they would bring her in to this birthing room. Because of a sheep, or a lamb fell, and it got attacked, or it scratched itself, it would no longer be good enough. It would no longer be perfect for the sacrifice. It was in the lower section of the tower, the birthing room with clean stalls were in it. You think about the infection of Jesus, we get this idea that it's dirty. This one specific, probably the only one in this whole area that would have been clean was this one. You see, it would have been given birth to lambs and the shepherds would expect them to quali- to see if they qualified for sacrificial use. If the lambs were perfect, the shepherds would take the lamb, wrap it in cloth and lay it in the feeding trough so that the, so it could rest in a manger. This is the process that was used for the lambs that would involve the sacrifice for the people. And we know that this feeding trough was clean because the priests, when they heard that a lamb was born, wrapped in cloth, put in a manger, prepared to be a sacrifice on our behalf to forgive us of our sins, they would have to come and expect this lamb. Say, is it perfect? Is it just the way it is? And if there was feces on the ground, if there was dirt, the priests would have been ceremonial unclean. A mistake not ideal or God perfectly orchestrating the details of prophecy but also the protection of his son in this moment. There is so much more in this story that we see. You see, it's hard for us modern readers of Luke's story to imagine what went through the minds of these shepherds when they walked in and saw the baby for the first time. They and their ancestors before them had seen thousands of lambs. As John chapter 1 says, the Lamb of God, they had seen thousands of lambs that would eventually be sacrificed. There had been so many lambs, and yet the sin problem of the people was never taken care of. Yet on this day, however, they did not just see another lamb. They saw a human baby. And they knew from the angel that this one baby would do something that all of the thousands of lambs before him could never do. He alone would save people from all of their sins, all people. He was the true lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. And they had the privilege of seeing him. So much more to this story. Katie, if you want to jump up on the keys, we close. See, Christmas reminds us that Jesus came close. And this is the cause for great joy. Despite the cultural barriers that could have stopped the people claiming rightful uh, uh, privilege or position that God came to, despite everything externally that could have pushed Jesus out of this and stopped this, despite the, the, the religious happenings and, and he couldn't be in Bethlehem and a king couldn't be born here and all the reasons why it couldn't happen it couldn't measure up, that shepherds weren't good enough, that Mary and Joseph were lowly, that this was a girl pregnant out of wedlock. All of the details seemed to counter anything in the religious system that could have been of God. Yet Jesus, despite those barriers, the Christmas story is one of God overcoming barriers to come close the birth of Jesus and the details surrounding his birth show us that despite the external storms or the internal battles Jesus came close he climbs over every barrier he fulfills all requirements that could keep us from him why why does Jesus come close so that we might in return draw near this is the Christmas story. This is why we slow down to celebrate Advent. This is why the third week of December is just as important this week as it is in July. This is why we stop to pause and look at the monumental moment surrounding the details of Jesus' birth because it changed everything. The same way that John was a transferring from an old covenant to a new covenant, the same way that lambs were temporary, but Jesus was a permanent sacrifice, fulfilling the law, fulfilling the prophecies, stepping into people who should never have had the privilege of being in the presence of a king to come to the shepherds, to come to the lowly, to proclaim good news, not that it's temporary, not that it's dependent on on where you grew up geographically, but it's for all people. This is the good news. And how does this, how does a God that came close to us and removed any barrier from us drawing near to him cause great joy? Well David in Psalm 16:11 tells us that you made me known or you made known to me the path of life in your presence. As Liza was talking about this morning, in his presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures evermore. The story of Christmas is not be more joyful. Try harder. The story of Christmas is there is access to the presence of God, and you can't help but experience joy when the proximity of you and Jesus is made close. The Christmas story is not try harder. If you're struggling with hope, draw near. He made it possible. If you're struggling with joy, don't put on a fake smile. Get on your face and worship before the King of Kings because now you have access to do that. You are in a period of time to which before Jesus came, that would not have been possible. You're struggling with hope. You're struggling with receiving or extending love. Christmas reminds us that Jesus did not stand afar off. He came close so that you and I might be able to draw near. This is Christmas. This is the good news of our God. That if you're breathing and hearing my voice today, it's for you. It doesn't matter what you did before you came to church. It doesn't matter if in your brokenness you're going to mess up on your way home. This is good news. It causes great joy. And it's for all people. (laughs) To end, I want you, if you would, now that we pointed out some details, to close your eyes. And I just want to read Luke's account of the birth of Jesus one more time and allow the beauty of the word of God to speak to your spirit, to cause hope and joy and peace to arise. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinus was the governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was one of the house of the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloth and laid him in the feeding trough because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region, at the same time, they were shepherds, Levitical shepherds, out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I am coming as a messenger from the throne room of heaven to declare good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this is your sign. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth, lying in a feeding trough. And suddenly there was a great angel multitude of heavenly foes praising God saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth and peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, knowing exactly where they were going. They found Mary and Joseph and their king lying in a manger. A slow, mindful reading of the Christmas story with fresh eyes leaves us much like the shepherds that fateful night in awe of everything that they had just witnessed. Family, if you find yourself in need of joy this morning, Remind yourself that Christmas tells us that Jesus has come close. Let us be people that regularly draw near. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for everything around this season and all of the details. And God, when we struggle, cause it's coming, Would you remind us of Christmas that tells me I now have access to draw near? We love you. Would you be with us this week? In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.